0: A question for you. How many people here would consider themselves to be insomniacs? Have a little trouble sleeping. There's a few. I I shouldn't put my hand up. I sleep like a log. I don't know why. Just I've always been able to do that. You know, I slept through a typhoon. Anyway, well, you know, everybody has the occasional bout of insomnia, though. I I love this. I saw this the other day, and this is what a lot of us do. It's 11 o'clock at 2 a.m., at 4 a.m., but eight minutes before my alarm goes off, I finally, yeah, we, we've already been there. We have. Yeah. But you know, there are, um, uh, you know, it was, it, there's some things that, that, that worry us a lot, and when we're worried about something, they can disrupt our sleep. Uh, there are also things that can cause us to lose a lot of sleep, like life's serious challenges, like illness and crisis and conflict, death of a loved one, all these things. Uh, Henry David Thoreau wrote this. It's a a well-known quote. He said, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with that song still in them. Lives of quiet desperation. And and that's one thing to live like that, but it's quite another when we find ourselves at a breaking point or in a crisis that demands our immediate attention. How do we handle life then? How do we handle life then? Mark has preserved a story about this here from Jesus' ministry that shows how two, two people who had reached the breaking points in their lives were changed through their encounter with Jesus. And Jesus, the living God, touched both of those lives and transformed them. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 as we go through our, continue our series here. We're going to start at verse 21, but let's ask God to speak to our hearts first as we, uh, as we read this. Father, help us to understand why you have preserved this for us today, why you gave Mark the exact words to write down why you preserve them through Peter and his recollections of these events, and what they mean not only to those people, but what they mean to us 21 centuries later. So we ask that, Lord, for your wisdom, for your, your assistance, Holy Spirit, as we seek to understand and know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, uh, we're going to read the entire uh, passage we're going to do today, not just little bits like we sometimes do. So uh, let's, let's do that. It's starting at verse 21. It's an interesting story because there's a main story that is a thread through this, the rest of the chapter. And in the middle of it, there's another story plunked down. That's kind of a, not an excursion, but, but also relates to what we're speaking about today. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, cum," which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) Even worrying about that. You're probably hungry. Go have something to eat. Wow. (laughs) May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I love these stories together. You know, I I don't know if there is anything more gut-wrenching and distressing to a parent than to have a sick and possibly dying child except perhaps a spouse in the same situation. That's Jairus' story. He's a desperate man. He's probably exhausted all the medical treatments available for his daughter. But he's heard of Jesus and he seeks him out and he falls at his feet pleading for Jesus to come and lay his hands on his daughter and heal her. And so they set out for his house. And the crowds follow. They've heard heard what Jairus is asking, and they follow, pressing around them. And somewhere in that crowd, huge crowd, there's a woman, also just as desperate, who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. 12 years. Interesting, the girl was 12 years old, this one's 12 years, this problem. She's at her wit's end. She has been to every doctor and no one's been able to help. But she has heard of Jesus too. And so she sneaks up and she touches his garment. This is an interesting story because in, in, in a sense, these two main characters couldn't be more different. They couldn't be more different Look at the contrasts. And Mark, Mark, he tells us first of all that this man's name is Jairus, but the woman's anonymous. He's a man; she's a woman. Uh, Jairus is a prominent leader; everybody knows him. He's a leader in the synagogue. She isn't even allowed to enter the synagogue to worship because of the condition that she has. She's considered ceremonially, ceremonially unclean under the Mosaic Law, and not permitted. Jairus, he's a man of distinction. Almost everybody in town knows him. He's probably in the local who's who directory. What about her? She is separated from her community because since she has this condition, no one is supposed to have contact with her or even anything that she has touched or they will also become ceremonially unclean. Jairus, he, he's honored. The woman, she has none. She's a social leper. She's, she's probably been judged by most of them because they believe very strongly that chronic illness was, was a punishment for sin. And so they're saying, there's a reason that you've got this, woman. And because of who Jairus is, he can approach Jesus directly he can come right and kneel before him. Though he still does show, I notice he still does show proper respect to the teacher by by kneeling at his feet, falling at his feet. But the woman, she shouldn't even actually be in the crowd. She shouldn't even be there. So she has to sneak up just to touch his garment. Doesn't feel worthy of even approaching him directly. And last, Jairus, well, he's a man of means. I mean, he's a leader, he's a prominent guy in the community, has a large household, servants who come to tell him later about his daughter. Woman has empty pockets. She has taken every penny that she has trying to get cured, and nothing's worked. So they're very different people, but there are, three, there are four common threads in this story. There are four common threads between them, uh, despite their differences. first of all, they're both desperate. They are both desperate people. There's an urgency to each of their stories. Second, um, both Jairus and the woman, they've run out of options. They have run out of options. The physicians haven't been able to help in either case. But the biggest common thread is this. Jesus brings Jairus' daughter back to life And the woman's bleeding stops immediately when she touches the edge of Jesus' garments. Jesus heals in both of these situations. Why? Well, that's the last of the shared threads because they both are demonstrating faith. They both demonstrate faith by coming to Jesus. What, what is faith? What is faith? Is it, is it just a matter of correct belief? What makes faith effective? In Hebrews, the right, the anonymous, we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews, but in 11, Hebrews 11, chapter 1, the writer there says, he describes it as faith, as he says it is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. And faith in Jesus is the confidence that He is who He claims to be and the conviction that He has the power to do what He says He can do. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't put that down as a point, but if you got some margin space, I thought, I should have put that on the, I should have put it on the overhead. But that's the case, that's the truth of it. Confidence that he's who he claims to be and that he can do what he says he can do. And so Mark, he's put these two stories together intentionally to show us th- that Jesus acts in both cases when faith is present. He heals the woman. Her condition is no barrier to him. He also heals the official's daughter, the synagogue leader's daughter. Now when when we talk about healing, sometimes questions pop into our heads. And and sometimes sort of images pop into our heads. Like crusades with wild-eyed faith healers smacking people on the forehead and yelling, Heal. Like there's some commanding some German shepherd or something like that. Heal. Now, regardless of the sometimes tasteless and sometimes phony examples that we, we've seen, God still heals today. God still heals today. He heals supernaturally. Every day, He confounds the medical community by making somebody well again. and faith is always a factor and and yet at the same time god does not always answer our requests for healing the way that we would have them so and what do we, so what do we say to the person who's who has prayed earnestly with faith but doesn't recover what do we say to families who Who implore, who beg God to act, but lose their friend or their father or their mother, sister, brother, or child. And so the bigger question in this is what is the role of faith in healing? What's the role? I want us to consider it in the light of five statements. Five statements. First is simply this, and I think we would all agree faith opens the door to the power of God. How powerful is God? All powerful, yeah, very much. Paul, I love Paul in his letter to the church at Ephesus. He's, he's trying to describe God and he runs out of adjectives. So he uses four different words for power and, he, and he's trying to describe it. And he says, he says, he prays that they might know, that we might know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incredibly great power for us who believe. And he goes on, he says, that power is like the mighty strength that raised Jesus from the dead. And he uses all these different words for power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power with which Jesus rules the universe today. Never mind Energizer Max. (laughs) Never mind uh, Duracell Ultras. God's got the power to heal. He has the power to heal what humans, humans can't heal. He has the power to give us eternal life. He has the power to alter even natural events as we've already seen in Mark. Who do you know that can walk, stand up in a boat and tell the waves, shut up and sit down and they go calm? Not me. <sighs> Not me. Faith is a big factor in healing. Uh, a little while later, actually, after, uh, in Mark, next, next chapter... Jesus is going to go to his hometown in Nazareth. But Mark says that he could not do many miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. But it also says he was amazed at their lack of faith, and he put those two factors together. Faith has to be present. Take another look at today's story. Faith is present. Both both Jairus and the unnamed woman have it. They don't come to a position of faith in Jesus after the healings. They have a prior faith that brings about and allows Jesus to work. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. The story from the life of missionaries. I love these old 19th century missionary photos because they all look so cheerful. And I think it's because they probably had to sit still for like 30 seconds until the guy closed the little window on the silver plate. But they, they all just look so... Cho- He's almost got a smile, actually. He looks a little like Jim Reimer, don't you think? If Jim had a big big millennial beard, I think that would be Jim. Anyway, Robert and Mary Moffett, uh, career missionaries in what was called Bechuanaland land back then, but it's now Botswana in Africa. After 10 years without a single person coming to faith, 10 years, very little encouragement, their mission board be- talked, started talking to them about closing down the project. But the Moffats said, no, they felt in their hearts that God was at work, and so they stayed. Two more years went by, No more, no converts, no conversions. And one day, a friend from England wrote that she wanted to mail them a gift and she asked what they'd like. So Mary wrote back, Send us a communion set. I think we might need it soon. It's not what I'd ask for. Send us a communion set. Well, God honored her faith. The Holy Spirit began to work, and within a short time, six people had made decisions to follow Jesus so they set a date for the first communion service ever held in Bequana land first one ever the communion set arrived one day before the service did God know yeah God honors faith it opens the door to God's power what are you asking God for today? What, what are you asking God for today? Uh, are you confident that he has the power and the authority and the desire to do it for you? That's the kind of faith that sees God work. That's the kind of faith that opens the door to the power of God. That's the first. So second, and, and this is crucial. It isn't just a matter of having faith. I had a friend who had a t-shirt. He said, everybody has to believe something, so I believe I'll have another beer. That's not going to save them. Faith has to be directed to the living God, Jesus Christ. If you place your faith in anything or anyone other than the living God, you're not going to make it. Um, April 1988, there was a news article. Uh, about a skydiver photographer who jumped from a plane along with a number of other divers. And you've seen a lot of these in the the sport adventure shows where, you know, he's filming the master skydiving, doing circles, all those kind of things. And on the film shown in the newscast, as the final skydiver opened his chute, the picture just went berserk. Because the cameraman had fallen to his death having jumped out of the plane without his parachute. Yeah. It it wasn't until he reached for the the absent ripcord that he realized he was free-falling and nothing could save him because his faith was in a parachute that was never buckled on. Have you buckled on your parachute? Are you sure? Faith in anything but an all-sufficient God will ultimately be just as tragic. Only faith in Jesus will save us. What is important is not our belief, what we believe about Jesus, but that we believe in Jesus. And that, there's a distinction there. That's an important distinction because merely believing that Jesus exists and that Jesus did things is not enough. The Bible says even the demons believe the facts about Jesus. Even the demons, they know the ones who come up to him when he was basically telling them to leave, and they say, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? They knew exactly who he was. Belief in Jesus. That's what the woman had. She said, And Mark records that. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Wow. Notice Jesus' response to her. He looks around. I wonder if he knew that power had gone out from him, that he couldn't have identified the woman anyway. Perhaps it was for our benefit. He looks around. He finds she comes up. She tells him the story. And, and admits that she's the one, and he just says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. The word, the word he uses here isn't actually the usual word for healed. It's a word that also can be translated saved, rescued. And, and it's in a, in, a, in a verb form, the grammarians, the, the Greek grammarians in the crowd will understand this, He's in a verb form called the perfect tense. It's it's a, a point of action in the past with ongoing effect, continually. Starts here, keeps going. Your faith has saved you. And imagine, as imperfect as that faith was, that it was enough for God to save her. But imagine how sweet those words must have sounded to someone who had been an outcast for 12 years. Daughter, daughter. I think his words had a powerful effect on Jairus too, who was watching this all unfold. Because Jairus had that same kind of faith when he first approached Jesus. He said, "Jesus, please." It's at the beginning of the chapter. It's kind of yeah, twenty-three, verse twenty-three. Put your hands, Jesus, please come and put your hands on my daughter so that she will be healed and live. He didn't say, there's no doubt, he didn't say, come and try and maybe, perhaps you'll be successful. He knew that if Jesus went with him, his girl would recover, her sickness would go. So it has to be in the one person who can effect the change, it has to be in the living God. Third, propels us, moves us to overcome obstacles. Now, that woman had a really big obstacle in her path. She had people. She had a huge crowd even to try to get to Jesus and and, and touch that garment. She shouldn't even have been in it. So she had to overcome in order to do this. She had to put aside any sense of shame that she had, or the fear that she might contaminate Jesus or others by touching them. But she did it. I wonder how the report from the servants affected poor Jairus. You know, I mean, he knew his daughter was desperately ill and dying. And and as he's been waiting, while and now he's waiting while Jesus stops and talks. And, allows, and, this, and pronounces this woman healed. And he's probably thinking in his mind, come on, we gotta go, we gotta get there. And then he hears his daughter has died. And the people come and say, why bother the teacher anymore? Nothing he can do now. Really? Uh, there's a there's a little subtlety in there too. There, why bother the teacher? What can a teacher do for you? He's just a teacher. And I'm sure Jesus knew that at that point, Jairus' faith was fragile. And so he says, "Don't be afraid. Just believe. Keep on believing." It's in a in a present tense. So they get to the house. And what does he get? More people laughing scornfully at Jesus when he said, the girl's not dead, she's just sleeping. But Jairus still trusted, and he took Jesus in, and they entered the house with Peter, James, and John, and he got his daughter back. Faith gives us the the push to overcome obstacles but more important than that this is our, our fourth point genuine faith always pushes it always uh, it always produces action action we have to act there's a sto- story about uh, uh, th- some areas of the world don't have uh, technology and, and equipment like we do there's a story about a guy who's visiting a monastery high on the side of a cliff the only way to get into it to be winched up in a wicker basket on a long rope by the other monks. <laughs> he's, I, I can imagine looking at the bottom of the. Oh, really? Okay. On the way up, he's, he's a little nervous and he notices the rope is actually getting pretty frayed. Pretty frayed. And so he asks the monk, well, um, how often do you change the rope? And the monk says, every time it breaks. (laughs) 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 But faith produces action. You need to get in the basket. You know, sometimes uh, you have to, another way of putting it, uh, trying to get to something, a lovely piece of fruit on a tree, sometimes you have to go out on the limb to get to the fruit. And that takes faith, too. Jairus and this woman didn't sit and hope that something would happen. They took steps to find Jesus. They were active. They weren't passive. Yeah, we know. Scripture encourages us, wait upon the Lord. Be quiet, be still. Wait upon the Lord. Yes, of course. We know also we're supposed to rest in and trust in God's grace and mercy. But yes, we also need to step forward in faith and act. We ask in faith that God will work. We don't have the power to heal. Only God can heal. Sometimes God heals through his human servants. But whether it's through physicians or brought about supernaturally in a moment, all healing is from God. All healing is from God. But maybe, just excuse me a sec. Don't want to cough halfway through this. <laughs> that, you, that, might, that begs another question though. Suppose if we, we have faith and we pray, And the sick person doesn't immediately rise up whole and healthy. What's wrong? Some people will tell you, oh, maybe you didn't have enough faith. I don't think that's correct. But the question, the bigger question is, must God answer our prayers in the way that we want? I guess it does depend on your view of God, is if you have a vending machine picture of God and that he has to give us what we want when we put in the right amount, then you're going to be very frustrated and you're going to be very disappointed. That's not how God works. What if God has, has better plans for us than our own plans? what if what if I asked for something that would cause me or others great damage, or or if I asked for a longer life, it but it would mean a life filled with grief greater than what I'm going through right now? I would rather follow a God who overrides my requests if if he says they're not in my best interest, than have a God who just gave me everything I asked for. I don't always ask with the right motives. I sometimes ask without careful thought and consideration. God knows best. I I don't see the whole picture. I don't see the complete picture. God knows best. So, final point, if there's any healing asked for in faith, it is always, it has to be seen, considered in the context of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. He says, I am the Lord, there is no other. God is omniscient, all-knowing. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Not everything we ask for is beneficial to us. I can't think of a better example than Jesus. In Jesus' darkest hour, in his humanity, in a garden, he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but you will. What if Jesus' request had been granted? We, would be, we wouldn't be here. We would be separated from God forever because if God had taken that cup of his wrath away, we would be separated forever. Sometimes a prayer for healing is answered with what many have described as the ultimate healing, eternal life in the presence of the Lord. not every touch heals and children still pass away. Even those whose parents are people of faith. And the the mark and these other passages don't give a reason that these things happen when prayer is not answered. But it does show us, certainly through these two instances today, that God is on the side of those who suffer. Sometimes God answers yes to our prayers, and we see a reprieve. Sometimes the answer is yes, but not always. In those difficult times though, in these in difficult times, do we continue to trust God? Do we have faith? When we find out, well, well, sorry, not when we find out. We find out when we are tested in desperate situations. That's when we find out if we really have faith. The way we react to crisis and illness reveals uh, a considerable amount about how we perceive God. And what we believe about God. Faith is being able to hold on, trusting God even in the face of death, knowing that death has been conquered in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, The title of this one was The Touch of God because the woman touched his garment, but Jesus knew that she was coming to him in faith. She was touched by God. The man's daughter was healed physically as Jesus took her hand and raised her. So my prayer as we uh, conclude this morning is just that we would would be people of faith, that we would, as Scripture says, present our requests to God and have his peace uh, that passes all understanding but that we would also be people of faith that trust through the difficult times. That God is there. God understands. He is on our side. And that we come to Him with our requests, especially in the difficult situations, and trust Him with our future and leave our future in His hands and not try to wrench it out of them. Let's pray. Lord, this is a difficult, difficult passage, especially as I know there are some of us in this room who have lived this, and they know what it's like, and they know the grief of having to say goodbye to someone. But Lord, we affirm our trust in you. We affirm our trust in you, the living God, that you see everything, you also see the big picture. And you see what we cannot see. And so Lord, we we commit our lives to you as people of faith. We said we will follow you. We do it because we trust you. We pray and ask these things and we give you thanks, Lord, for this incredible love that we've sung about and we've seen in the scripture this morning and that we all know and have experienced in our own lives. Jesus, we love you we know that we love you because you first loved us. You loved us so that you gave your life. You became a ransom for the many. So, Father, thank you for sending your Son. Thank you, Lord, that we are your people. We are your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.